My wife, Teresa, was always the one in our family that brings the adventure. As the mom, uh, she said, hey, we are going to be a hiking family. And in fact, it all looks good here, but on this day in May of 2014, I'll be honest, I wasn't so sure. Yeah, it began well as we set out on our first family hike at Skyline. And Nate was good. Jonathan was good as we started as well. But uh, we were on our way with our nice purple paisley family backpack when we came to the end of the houses at the beginning of our hike. Let's just say they were already done. I looked at Tress and said, really, we're going to be a hiking family? This is the outdoor kid. And we pushed on through complaints, crying, protests. And when I got those looks like these, we just kept going to the end of our trail. Well, we soon swapped backpacks for kids, and we eventually made it back. And while it was rough, my wife saw something I didn't. She saw a hiking family. In fact, just a few weeks ago, when we had the chance to finally get out, we chose to hike. And I love this about my wife. You see, at that time, she was seeing something I couldn't see. She was looking beyond just the moment when our kids couldn't handle it to our grandkids hiking with us, to all of us hiking together, because she was remembering back at the legacy that was passed to her, of an opportunity for her to, to pass on the hiking she had experienced. You know, on this Mother's Day, I want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of you. And uh, I just love you moms for what you bring to your family. So many of you, because you spend so much time with your children, you have a perspective that sometimes us dads might miss. We're, we're into making sure that baseball's thrown right, that shot's made right, that education is done perfectly, whatever. And moms, you kind of have a tendency to look beyond. You look at that legacy. Now, I'm not saying dads, we don't do that. But moms, you have a, a special gift in this. And I just want to appreciate you as we begin today in this conversation about a legacy. You see, we live in a time that confuses this word, don't we? What in the world is a legacy anyway? In fact, there's many people out there who want to tell you your legacy is what you hand off to your children and your finances. And that's true. And I know that Dave Ramsey, he does some great stuff to help us get to that place. But there's also the fact that there's a whole culture out there trying to tell you you need to have a legacy because your legacy makes you immortal. Being remembered by the world and your impact on earth is what your legacy is. We hear presidential legacies and all this kind of stuff. But hey... What we want to do as Christians is we want to stop. We want to look at what the Bible says about legacy. And I think it helps us see why moms think about legacy so differently than so many other. Because the Bible teaches us something about a landscape of legacy. Kind of the longitude and latitude and the location that we find ourselves in the middle of a greater vision than just ourselves right here and right now. And I want to walk us through this idea of legacy because what we're going to find out from the Bible is legacy has very little to do with you and far more to do with the way that we think about this landscape of legacy and how it's not just laid into one child at one moment, but the potential of what's been passed to you being passed on for generations. And that's where we start. We want to begin because the Bible helps us realize that we are called to think generationally when it comes to legacy. Not to think about right now, not to think about the events that are occurring just here, but to think about them in generations. In fact, we see this very clearly laid out in multiple places through the scripture that we call genealogies. And I want to take one of those and look at them in particular, and it's Jesus' genealogy found here in the book of Matthew. Now, Matthew was one of Jesus' students, and as we're looking at uh, what Matthew was writing about Jesus, he begins his entire book, his entire biography of Jesus, 
from this idea of a genealogy. Verse 1 actually reads, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And it begins into this section that so many of us skip, right? Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. In fact, you begin to see there's all kinds of awesome sections here as we begin to see that there's Ruth in here, and then there's David and Solomon. There's Uzziah, which was a famous king. There's Hezekiah, a wonderful king, and Manasseh, an awful king. There's Zerubbabel, the man, the man who came back and helped rebuild the, the temple and the walls and Jerusalem. And so we have all these generations that lead finally to Jesus. As it finally it kind, of, kind of sums up at the end, it says, And Jacob was the father of Joseph and the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. And see, this is important because the Bible wants us to think generationally. It wants us to think about our whole spectrum of life. And when I, we talk about generations here in the biblical concept, we're not talking about our modern things, you know, that whole, oh, you're Gen X and you're Gen Y and you're iGen and you're a baby boomer and you're a buster and all that kind of stuff. This is a modern creation of generations as we try to like pigeonhole people and their behaviors into kind of age gaps. And why we, what happens is we give this idea that somehow all the information that came before we've rejected, thrown out, we're starting new. We're blank slate in it, baby. There's no legacy to be passed on. And that's not what we're looking at in Scripture. See, Scripture wants us to understand that the latitude of a legacy, as we're kind of finding this entire landscape, is actually that of generations. And what we mean by generations is a timeline of people. There's a past history of people that have gone before us that have passed on a legacy to their children, who have passed on a legacy to their children, and it's come to us. And as we see in genealogy after genealogy, these legacies are passed down finally to one person who passes on, and then it keeps on going. We're in a flow of time. We don't stand still. We are in this movement, and, and this is really easy for my family to see because, honestly, my wife and my daughter get to look up, and they see my mother-in-law, Cindy, and her mother, Jerry, and it goes all the way up. Four generations can be taken in one shot right now. That gives my wife a sense of the flow of history. It gives my daughter a sense of the flow of history. It gives my mother-in-law this flow of history. As we see that we're part of something bigger than the moment. That legacy is something that comes to us and flows through us and goes on. And that's important to note. Something that comes to us, flows through us, and goes on. And what I want us to understand is this legacy is not something that we should ignore because it adds into it a weight. When you know something's been passed to you, when you understand something's been handed to you, man, you begin to feel the weight and responsibility of the legacy that you have been given. In fact, there's a, a lot of women actually in this list of Jesus' legacy. I want, I want to show you that this is kind of interesting. That what we have here is we have this beginning. It says, And Salmon, the, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and then we'll get to David. But what's interesting in this genealogy is Matthew intentionally pulls out some faithful women. Rahab was the prostitute who lived in Jericho, who stood by faith, trusting that Yahweh, that our God, the God of Israel, was going to destroy the city. And she trusted in him. We have Ruth, also a, a Gentile woman, a Moabite, 
who had faith in, um, in God, faith in Israel's God, that she was willing to abandon her own land to come into Israel and follow after Naomi. Now, as we understand this, think about Mary for a minute. Because here is Mary at the end of this. Mary is the mother, and she's, she knows this genealogy. What weight does she carry when she looks at faithful women? What weight does she carry when she realizes she's holding the Messiah, the angel announced her, and now as she carries this child in her arms, she needs to impart the same faith in God as Ruth did, the same faith in God as Rahab did. That has a weight. That has an import. But it comes from the legacy that's passed to her. And when we see another section here that it says that Jesse is the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Can you imagine how Joseph felt, knowing this is his lineage, knowing that he has to stand up and stand in the line of King David himself, the man after God's own heart, the greatest king Israel has ever seen? I think Joseph felt the weight, knowing that this child was the Messiah, knowing this child was going to bring this legacy forward. Not to mention, he probably felt the weight of the sin that's mentioned here. I mean, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Uriah was murdered by David because he had impregnated Bathsheba. And Solomon, though he would be this man of great wisdom, he would carry the same sin on in struggles of his own. And you don't think Joseph might have sat pondering this, understanding that this same weight, this same tarnished reality came to him as well. And see, when we think in generations, we think of the past struggles and the past victories and the weight that it brings to us. So much so that, you know, some people want to abandon their backgrounds. Imagine if you had the family tree with Adolf Hitler in it. Would you want to keep that name? Would you want to keep that reality? Think of the Kennedys and all that's gone on in their family tree. The weight that just the name bears. You know... My wife struggles over this concept. She talks to me often, and we, we lament. We've made some bad parental decisions, or we've done something that just uh, is obviously not healthy for our children. Uh, we have talked many times and have helped her through, and we have warned and cried over the simple reality that, you know, our kids are going to need so much counseling when they're older, right? You ever said that to yourself? Man, am I messing up my kids? Am I messing up my grandkids? Generational thinking comes with a weight. And I think that's why we want to abandon it. I think that's why we want to say, oh, we don't need to think like this. We don't need to carry the generations because I just don't want to think about those problems. I don't want to deal with those issues. I don't want the weight. And I want to challenge us this morning to think about the fact the legacy that we don't examine will be part of the legacy that we pass on. And we need to examine our legacy. What's been passed to us? What have we inherited? You see, the longitude is to think generationally, while the latitude, to be honest, this idea that you and I need to understand, as we understand there's generations, the next one, as we look at the landscape, is to think spiritually. The Bible doesn't allow us to not think this way. You see, when we think spiritually, we look at this group of people, of Abraham, of David, of Solomon, of Hezekiah. They are the people who carry on the faith of Israel, passing it through generations down to this one Jesus. The promises of God were given to these men. Promises to Abraham, promises to David, promises to Solomon. There's a spiritual lineage here that Jesus was inheriting, that Mary was ha having to carry on and pass on. And so the Bible calls us not just to think about our personal family history, but to also think about those, gener those spiritual generations. 
You see, when we look at this list, guys, it's a pretty rotten list. I mean, I think of David and what he did, did, and I don't know why he was celebrated. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart, but murders people, and after that just messes up his family. Solomon abandons God. I mean, Manasseh literally burns his own children at the altar. It's an awful, awful situation. This list is full of sinners. And to be honest, the nations ignored the Jewish writings for years because why would they be interested in this? They were just as flawed as their own heroes, their own people. But along comes Jesus. At the end of this genealogy, Jesus who is the Christ, and he transforms everything. You see, everything changes when Jesus enters your legacy, just as it changes everything in this genealogy. Otherwise, they are just a mess of people that we look at and go, really? They were fools to have faith in something they never received. And yet, because Jesus comes in, and through his resurrection, suddenly the fools become the men of faith. They become people that we look to. They become people that we're called to. Then they become something that transforms our hearts. You see, all these promises that were given to these men, all the promises to Abraham, to David, all these promises, Paul would tell you and me that through Jesus, they're ours. The promises become ours. Notice what Paul says. He says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. What? Every promise of God finds their yes in Jesus. That means that Jesus is in your lineage. The promises of faith, the promises of heaven, the promises of the kingdom of God are ours because of Jesus. There's a spiritual heritage that is ours. And so not only the promises, the people become ours. This is incredible. We see this in Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 2. After the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, we read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What happens is this awesome, awesome Lord that we follow allows those people who are once just Israel's heroes to become a great cloud of witnesses. People that are watching us, people that challenge us, people that say, we didn't receive it, but stand in faith as Jesus pressed on to that cross. So you, press on, keep going, don't give up. And this is the beauty of what we're given. We have a spiritual heritage that now comes with our generational heritage that we get to pass on. We get to pass it forward. And that's why you need to know church history. Because Jesus passed it to his apostles. His apostles passed it on to their disciples. And on and on it went. There is these spiritual brothers and sisters that we should know about because they encourage the legacy that's happened to us. They inform the landscape of our legacy. The men and women who died in the arena. The Reformation leaders. Guys, these faithful Christians throughout the generations of the Middle Ages who lived in Africa, who, who brought the gospel all the way into the interior of China, Christians who are faithful to bring the message across the United States, Chinese Christians today who are faithful to stand firm in their faith. These are our brothers. These are our sisters. They inform the spiritual heritage that is being passed on to you and passed on to me. And so if we're going to grasp our spiritual lands, our 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 legacy landscape. It's going to include that idea of the generations and include the idea of this spirituality.
And when we understand that spirituality, we understand one thing. Where those two things meet means we pass on our faith to our children. There's a lot of people out there right now, moms, dads, trying to tell you you shouldn't pass your faith on to your kids. Let them just kind of figure it out on their own. That is not the way of Christians. We've been given a legacy that we're going to pass forward to our children. And part of that legacy is not just what comes from our family, but what comes from our faith. And we need to hand that spiritual reality on to our children. We need to teach them the Word of God and walk them through. And this series is intended to help us understand how to take what is generationally ours and spiritually ours and give it forward in a great legacy. In order to do that, in order to engage that, we need to know our landscape intimately. Because in every location, there are dangers and there are wonders. And what I want to encourage you guys is to take this week these two steps as you begin to engage with your legacy. And that is to not only identify the longitude and latitude, have that generational thinking and spiritual thinking, but then also identify the sin and the struggles that have been passed on to you. We need to identify kind of the danger zones, the things that are going on. If we're going to pass this on to the next generation, we've got to be aware of what's been passed on to us, even the bad stuff, even the mess. You know, Jesus has a very, very interesting lineage here. There are some bad stuff in here, like what I told you about Manasseh. I mean, Uzziah literally walks in to worship God in his own terms and arrogance. I mean, there is enough sin in this list to curl anybody's you know, toenails. You're just like, oh, this is awful. And yet Jesus comes in and changes it all. And, and we're not afraid to look at this list because, yeah, there's mess there. But you know what? Jesus is there. And we've got to understand what's been passed to us with sin. You say, what do you mean pass to us? Well, take a look at this. Let's actually look at one of these people. It's right here in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now let's look at a connection. It's an interesting one here found in Genesis chapter 20. It states that from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev. He's leaving Egypt. And he lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to the to a set of, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now what's interesting here is that this seemingly similar story appears only six chapters later. Here, read this in Genesis 26, starting in verse 1, it says, Now... There was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Moving on to verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest these men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah's beauty. Um, and she was attractive in appearance. Now, Here's the thing, when we look at this, the same sin happens twice. It's not a double story. It's not the same story and we, oops, we just replaced people. It's telling us something about human nature. Like father, like son. Just as Abraham was willing to lie about his wife, his son was willing to lie about his wife. And what's interesting is Abraham's grandson, named Jacob, would be a liar, a big liar, and lied his way in and out of all kinds of things. 
You see, what I'm trying to get at here is there is a passing flow, if you think generationally about sin, of actual intergenerational sin, sin that can be passed down to you from your family members. You see, in theology, we actually believe that when a baby is, when a soul of a baby is created, it's the mingling of both the souls of the mother and the father coming together, and the character of those people come mingled into your child which means you're a mix of all of those generations coming into you. Their character, their victories, their flaws. It's important that we know and understand that generational and intergenerational sin is real. And we need to identify this stuff. We need to look at these things. In fact, the Bible lets us know this all the time. Here in Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, through him, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. We all sinned because Adam sinned. We are like the prototype Adam. And all of us have sinned because it spread to us all. See, this intergenerational sin rolls out and affects us. It infects us to the point that God even reacts to this. In the book of Exodus, where he's declaring the Ten Commandments, in verses 4 through 6, we can read this again. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What we have here is a fascinating thing, that God is going to visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the, to the third and fourth generation, you go, that doesn't seem fair. What's going on here? Well, there's a spiritual heritage, generationally and spiritually, whether you're a Christian or not. And if you're not a Christian today, I want you to know there's a spiritual heritage you've inherited. This, the worship of your past will indeed affect the way that you live today. The worship of your family, indeed, will have an effect the way uh, you live today because God visits it upon us. He says, look, if you're not going to love me, if you're not going to follow me, if you're not going to let Jesus Christ enter in and change your genealogy, then, man, you're going to have to deal with the consequences of false spirituality. And it comes through our families. You need to know what your family was doing. You need to know what's in the background. You need to identify some of these things. In fact, there's a couple things I need to tell you, though. First of all, when you look back into your past, you may find some interesting stuff. You may actually find alcoholism that runs way back. You should be aware of that. You should be aware of the sexual sin that runs through the past of your family. You should be aware of whether or not there's con artists and liars and stuff. There are all kinds of interesting things that go on in the past. My family actually kind of backs up all the way to the point where we don't really know who my great-grandfather's father was. But we assume, and we're pretty sure, that he was a traveling salesman. And so impregnated a lady at the door, and that child was then adopted, and we received the name Harris. Now, sexual sin is something we watch in my family, because to be honest, it flows through it. And we want to be careful about that, and we want to be observant about that. And we want to know, because I don't want to pass on something in my family that I wasn't aware of. Now, a couple quick things. First, you're not guilty of your family's sin. Maybe you have some racists in your past. Maybe you actually have a murderer back there. And, and the families have been affected. And they want to throw that guilt on you. They want to tell you that you're guilty for your family's past. 
According to the scriptures, you cannot judge the son for the father's sin. You see, there's a dividing line between guilt and influence. You're not guilty for your family's past, and you can't take that upon yourself. Now, it may help to make sure that you acknowledge it, and it will help to make sure that you move past it, but you are not guilty for your family's past. And second, you are not fated by your family's past. Some of you have fathers who've been incarcerated, grandfathers who've been incarcerated. Some of you uh, may have a history because you're, you're an African-American, you're a black man in this country, and you don't even know your past. You don't know where people come from anymore because of slavery in this country. And here's the thing. You are not fated to the past of your ancestors. You are not fated to be like your father. You are not fated to be like your grandfather. And so don't think that just because they were alcoholics, I have to be. They were drug addicts, I'm going to be. They were, you know, philanderers. They got divorced, I'm going to. No. No. You are not fated. This is not a genetic thing that makes you have to have blue eyes or brown eyes. You have choice. And if Jesus Christ has crashed into your genealogy, it changes everything. But hey, here's what we do need to realize. We need to look back because it influences it may not fate you, but it influences. And we need to be aware of what is influencing us in our generational history, but also, my friends, in our spiritual history. Let me just give you an example. We're a Southern Baptist church, and we have to be aware of the racism that's been involved in the Southern Baptist world. And we have to acknowledge that, and we have to say, you know what? We don't agree with that past. And so what we stand for is the good and the blessing within it. But we need to be acknowledging it. We need to be aware of it, just as Lutherans need to be aware of the anti-Semitism that's been in their history. And so we need to be aware of the spiritual heritage, because sin creeps into even the, even the spiritual family of God. And so if we're aware of these things, man, we're ready to engage. We don't just allow this legacy to crash over us and pass it on. Instead, we get the opportunity to engage it. We'll deal with more on how we engage it next week. But that's our first thing. When we're looking around, we know we need to think generationally. We know we need to think spiritually. We've got to identify those passings. But now, I want you to remember there are wonders in your past as well. So identify the blessings passed on to you as well. I mean, we can't just crush the past and destroy it. We need to identify these blessings because there are so many blessings. There are actually intergenerational blessings. There was a blessing that was passed on even in this genealogy, starting back there again with Abraham. In fact, we know of these intergenerational blessings because we find them as God again declares his name to Moses. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses says, I want to know you. I want to see you. And God says, I'm just going to pass by and tell you my name. And here's how he says it. Beginning in verse 6 of Exodus 34, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We'll just stop there because what's powerful about this verse is that term thousands could actually be defined as thousands of generations. God is willing to pass his blessing down generation upon generation upon generation for those who love him. We see this with Abraham, like I pointed out. In fact, you'll find it in chapter 13, because Abraham had brought along with him, after the promise of God to give him Canaan, he brought with him his, his nephew Lot. And Lot's tooting along, you know, enjoying Abraham, enjoying this conversation, and he's getting blessed the whole time. We see in Genesis 13, it says, Now, 
Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who was with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great, they could not dwell together. This is amazing. Lot was blessed because he traveled with his uncle. He, he leaves him, and his blessing kind of stops. But as long as he was with his uncle Abram, under the blessing of Abram, it kind of flowed to him. This is important as a side note. For those of you who may be single, I want you to know something. God can use you as a blessing, generationally and spiritually, because you have something to pass to nephews, to nieces, to those in your life. Or as Paul did, passed it to Timothy and those of his spiritual protégés. He called them sons. And what I want to encourage you is to think, who is it that you are passing on to? I have a friend who's single, and I love to have watched him pass his faith and pass his knowledge and pass his generational care to his nephew. To the point where his nephew, I've watched him grow in spirituality and knowledge because of the presence of his uncle. So you can have a spiritual heritage, a spiritual blessing to pass on. So look back. What are the blessings that have been passed to you? What are the spiritual blessings that have been passed to you? Because honestly, Paul tells us we have tons of them. Notice this in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, every single one. Your salvation is a wonderful blessing. Pass that on. Hey, you have the access to God in prayer. Have you passed that on to your children? You have the church and the people around you. Have you passed that on? The, the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace, are you passing that on? Have you got the opportunity to identify the fact that you get to be generous, that you get to have the possessions that God has blessed you with? You get to live in this country that God has blessed you with. Every Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. Spiritual gifts, the promise of eternal life. Man, what blessings, amen? Whew. We need to identify those. Because if we're not aware of those, we don't know what we get to pass to the next generation of wonderful spiritual blessings. Identify those. Thank God for those. And open those up to the next generation. We'll talk even more about how to do that next week, but right now you need to identify them. What are those? What are those promises? Write them down. Get them on a notepad along with those negative things. Make sure you've got this locked down so you can begin to pass on that legacy intentionally. Now, but there's also a generational blessing, not just the spiritual ones. Your family has given you good things no matter how bad it is. You need to be able to identify those. And you're like, where do I start? How do I even think through this? Well, let me give you a verse it's Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he's telling them, here's the mindset you need to have. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There's something to pass on. What was excellent in your family? Was it the way you did vacation? Was it the way they talked to you? Was it the way they disciplined you? What was worthy of praise? What was lovely? Was there an awesome way that the, the Christmas smelled in your home? Was there an incredible way that, that you celebrated Easter or maybe enjoyed Fourth of July? Whatever it is, there are legacies that have been laid into you that are beautiful. That fishing trip, maybe it's just simply that opportunity, that one long drive. 
I don't know what yours were, but I've thought a lot about my mom and the legacy she's handed to me lately because Mother's Day is here. And because she's been gone, she's been off in heaven for almost 10, over 10 years now. And I think about what she passed to me. And she, got, she gave to us so many cool things. She was a librarian. We would sit at her feet as she would read Gulliver's Travels with all kinds of voices and awesome inflection. And now I get to pass that to my kids as I read various stories and use my voices and inflection. And I realize it's impacted uh, my preaching and so many things. I think about my mom and, and the fact that she was somebody who was at wonder with the world. She would go in the backyard and she'd say, come check this out. And we'd look at a butterfly or she would find a cocoon or we would examine the tortoise in our backyard or simply look at a flower and watch the bee or she would take and teach us to write and stencil and art. All kinds of wonder about life, which just fueled my joy and my love of science and the curiosity that, that flows through me. And these are the things that she poured into me that I've been able to pass on in my ministry and to my family. And the most important thing that she handed to me was my faith. God used her to convict me. God used her to hand over to me the very gospel that transformed my life. And you may be watching this today because your mom has, had, has you at her house or has asked you to do this uh, by watching this for church. And I guarantee you, moms want you to know if you're watching this, your mom wants you to hear that she loves you, but she has something she wants to pass to you, and that is the blessing of Jesus entering your genealogy. You see, what God did is he loved us so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die upon a cross, to bear our sin and our hell in the mess of this world, all the garbage of our genealogy, all the fadedness of our genes, and he broke it by taking it on himself on the cross to give you a new life. He rose from the dead to give you a new start, to head in a new direction, to interrupt what's going on in your life from all that garbage and even all that good to give you a spiritual heritage. And he offers it to you today. Your mom invited you to watch this, to offer this to you, that she would pass on a legacy to you of a spiritual legacy that goes back and back and back and back and back to the beginning of time. From the God who loves you, who wants you to know him, he offers you this opportunity. If you will trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. And you can do that right now. And I want to invite you to do that. Here's how you do it. Just bow your head right where you're at. And just say, Jesus, I believe that you took my sin. I ask that you come into my life and you would interrupt it. Give me that new life, because I trust that you rose from the dead. And I ask that Jesus, you'd come now and lead me. Show me you're here. Give me a spiritual legacy, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that, we would love for you to let us know. You could text us, begin at 951-382-5111. You could simply let us know uh, by clicking that raised hand symbol if you're on our online platform. Or you can let somebody know right now just by typing, hey, I received Christ, and one of our hosts would love to connect with you. This is the beginning point of a, of a spiritual journey, and we want to help you make that journey forward. Otherwise, church, l let's gather. Let's look at our past without fear so that we know what's influencing us so we can pass a legacy forward. And as you identify those things and understand your spiritual landscape, your, your legacy landscape, 
then I want to encourage you to join us next week as we begin to work on what do we do with these, these blessings and these curses, with this spiritual and this generational information. Because that's where we really begin to hit that rubber with the road. We'll see you guys next week. God bless you.